this heaven? No. It's Iowa. Na 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 na. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to week 14 of Pink Locker Room Talk. Coming at you from Studio A here in Chicago, Illinois. Who's Thank bad? Who's bad? They're Nebraska's so, they're bad. so bad. Nebraska Rick. is bad. You are in a much better mood. It's really it's unbelievable your mood swings week to week compared to the Iowa scores. A direct relationship. It is a direct relation, and that's kind of a you sad were part. You were such a little baby last week when I came. I was very whiny last week. And one thing you might not know is that, is that last week John cut, I don't know, probably twenty five minutes of me just the same exact complaint over and over about Iowa football. Yeah. So we had to make room for Ron Kaluzzi, which we wanted to give a big thanks to thank Ron you to Kaluzzi Ron. for coming on the podcast. Kaluzzi Kicking. KaluzziKicking.com. So, uh, funny story. The Pink Locker Room Talk listener crew is already drumming up some business Drum. for Kaluzzi Kicking. How to get the biz. Uh, one of our listeners got a friend, a high school program out of Minnesota. They're going to talk. So nice. So, we're hooking Kaluzzi Kicking up with the PLRT crowd. There we go. And, Ron, thanks again for coming on. Yeah. The t-shirt giveaway. Yep. So we got some more reviews, which was great. Mm -hmm. I think I don't think our listeners understand the concept of the challenge. No. These reviews were so nice to us. You're not supposed to be nice. Complimentary. To us. You're supposed to be making fun of us. Yep. That is not, not hard to do. That is not, not hard to do. No. Just bald, fat, whatever. A lot right? of material there. So you win a free t-shirt if you do a good job of making fun of us. So we're going to extend the challenge to the bowl okay. preview yep. show, which brings us to our next piece of business. We're going to have to skip a week. Yeah, we're going to take a little time off, recharge the Jets, and uh, find out. We're, we're going to all find out on Sunday night who I was playing in the bowl game, and then we'll come back at you a little bit before Christmas probably with our bowl preview show. Yeah, sometime around the 13th or 14th, somewhere in there, we'll be recording yep. with another special guest. Hopefully. Who we won't, knock on wood, we're not going to share who it is. But it is an Iowa great. And speaking of special guests. Speaking of special guests. Coming at us. Our listeners are becoming spoiled. They are. Coming yeah. at later this hour, an interview with the myth, the legend, Darrell Johnson Colianos. DJK. DJK is going to be on the podcast here in a little bit. We're very excited to talk to him about DJK was, I mean, like my favorite season of Iowa football ever was probably 2009, and DJK was a very big part of that team. The Orange Bowl season. The Orange Bowl season. Yeah, which we're going to talk to him about. Yep. Um, so that's exciting. So we had Vint a couple weeks ago. We had Ron Caluzzi last week, DJK this week, a possible guest for the Bowl Preview Show. Don't get used Sky's to this. Sky's the limit, baby. Don't get used to this. I think that's all the housekeeping we have. All the housekeeping. We have Cheers. Lots to cheers Lots to. Lots to cheers to. I'll go first. Uh, I want to cheers to Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, I think we saw his last regular season game as an Iowa Hawkeye. Just won. It came out today that he won the Jack Tatum Award for the best defensive back in the nation. Jack Tatum Award, best defensive back in the nation. Not quite the level of the Jim Thorpe Award, but still an award given to the best defensive back in the nation. And Josh Jackson, you are the winner, sir. Is that a precursor for the Thorpe Award, we hope? Yes, you're right. Hope speaking so. of awards, he deserves it. Speaking of Iowa players receiving defensive uh, awards, the Jack Lambert Award went to Josie Jewell. So Jack Lambert has figured out much better than Dick Buckus does. Yep. Josie won that this week as well. We can't hear from the Dick Buckus people, and we don't care who wins that award because they're stuffed in the locker and we could give a shit less. That's right. We have to cheers to Nathan Budgeta. He threw those bones. <laughs> Rick's, Rick's throwing bones in podcast studio A right now. Beautiful. I mean, I wasn't a huge that guy. He went from eh to me to I'll never forget. You was from Nebraska. I know. Yeah, that's right, and that's why what makes it so great. Yeah, Rick, we have one sad thing about Cheers. We had an almost Cheers. What is it? Ricky Stanzi played in the Grey Cup over the weekend, to which win is the, the the championship in Canada, right? Yeah, CFL title. CFL He's the backup quarterback for the Calgary Stampede. And they lost to the Toronto Argonauts. Shit! I know. 
I just we were rooting for Rick. He there was a picture of him in the locker room. He's looking very. Is his hair flowing? Like no, just he was very you know upright, regal looking. Nice, nice. I want to move Nebraska up. Let's do it <laughs> because it is that week. There's so much, and there's so much that we can fold in to talking about the game, bashing Nebraska. I mean, Mike Riley. I feel like we barely knew you, yeah. and you're gone. It's the end of the line. The end of the line for you, Mike. We're going to the end of the line. Don't have to be ashamed of the car I drive. The end of the line. I'm just glad to be here, happy to feel that. The end of the line. Of the line. And it don't matter if you're by my side. I'm satisfied. That's a very deep throwback, petty. Wilbury's reference there, Rick. They gave up three. Cheers to you, John. You've been able to keep the uh, the petty thing going all year. I We're starting impressed. to get in. Deep. I was impressed. Or in deep. They gave up 313 yards rushing to Iowa, 6.6 6 a carry. We haven't run the ball at all all year. No, we just against no one have we run yeah, the ball, and we ran it with ease. Yeah, against old Bob Diaco. We had six rushing touchdowns. Which is the first time we had six rushing touchdowns since 2001. Nice. Okay. It was the first time Nebraska gave up six rushing touchdowns in 13 days. <laughs> <laughs> they they, gave they sucked to Minnesota. Oh, oh dude. They, well, here's the thing. There's one thing to be bad. It's another thing to be bad and then quit. Yeah. Like this team a month ago just quit. You give up 55 to Minnesota, Minnesota can't score. Minnesota's a complete dumpster fire right now. I want to say one nice thing about Bob Diaco before he leaves. What are we going to do? Can we even have a podcast without Bob Diaco? We're going to have to figure out what Bob Diaco is doing in his life. Or we need a new Bob Diaco, which might be P.J. Fleck. He's trying. Yeah. He's trying to earn the Bob Diaco craziness title. Bob Diaco. Bob's on a different level, though. When he played at Iowa, he was called Bobby Diaco. Bobby D. And in 1995 against Indiana, in one game, Bobby Diaco had 26 tackles. Awesome. Isn't that unbelievable? That is pretty unbelievable. Second most in a game ever. 26 tackles. So that's the last, first and last nice thing we're going to say about about Diaco. Let's talk about Nebraska's coaching situation. They're paying Mike Riley $170,000 a month until 2021. Let me repeat that. They're paying him $170,000 a month until 2021 with a clause that says he doesn't get paid if he gets a new job. I got news for you. He's not getting. He's a new not job. looking for a new job, and if he was, he's not getting a new job. Now oh. that sounds bad, right? Except let's let's fast forward, Rick, to fall of 2018 when we start next football season. Yep, they are going to have on the payroll and be actively paying. Bo Pelini, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley, Sean Oikhorst, and the new coach. Four guys. <laughs> They're in for at least 12 million in salary next year, wow. at least. Wow. Well, and with four guys, it's one per win. <laughs> Sorry. I had a lot of fun with Mike Riley buyout that's, statistics. That's, that's nuts. Yeah, so, I mean, it, they just have no idea what they're doing uh, is the point. So now they're fired, right? Yep. He's gone. Bob Diaco's leaving our life. I have a poem, Rick. I've been gathering... You Bob told me about this earlier today. I was very excited. <laughs> I've been gathering Bob Diaco's stuff for a very long time. And I came across one. When he left UConn, he left his team with a poem because he was sad. Only Bob Diaco in the game of football. And now since we're sad and he's leaving us and Nebraska, Nebraska, we're going to read his poem back to him. It's from 1959. It's by Saxon White Kessinger, and it is called The Indispensable Man. So bear with me here. Sometimes when you're feeling important, sometimes when your ego's in bloom, sometimes when you take it for granted, you're the best qualified in the room. Sometimes when you feel that you're going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow these simple instructions and see how they humble your soul. (laughs) Rick looks like he wants to puke right now. (laughs) Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in it up to the wrist. Pull it out and the hole that's remaining is a measure of how much you'll be missed. You can, you can splash all you wish when you enter. You may stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find that in no time it looks quite the same as before. 
The moral of this quaint example is do just the best that you can. Be proud of yourself, but remember, there is no indispensable man. Goodbye, Bob. Goodbye, Bob. Good night, sweet prince. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Love it or leave it. Love it or leave it. Everybody's leaving Minnesota. Everybody is leaving Minnesota. Starting quarterback, Demery Croft. Another player just today transferred. Pick to click, Rick. Uh, You had Matt Hankins. I had Josh Jackson. Uh, Josh did not have an interception, which is basically a down week for Josh Josh Jackson, even though he completely shut down one half of the field. We're going to give you Matt Hankins because it was his first start and he played great. Yep. And it ties it up. Yep. So we're going to have a all or nothing on bowl, the bowl game. game wager we're gonna have to come up with. You know what maybe we should do? We should think about forgetting our rule. We just get to pick one player. And Forget we, about a rule of if you like the regular sure. season's over, you get sure. all your picks back. Okay. I like it. All right. Maybe one on offense and one on defense. Maybe we can do that with the gambling challenge too. We'll talk about that later. Well, speaking of the gambling challenge. He beats me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Now that I'm proud to say it is over. Over. I have 1300 bucks and I'm just sitting here with nobody to play with, nothing to do. Uh, yeah, you lost. Well, next year we may have to change the format. Maybe get our listeners involved. Maybe have some something Good call. like that. All right, Rick. I think that's uh, that's all I have. Yep. Now we have our special guest. Yep. All right. We'd like to introduce uh, a first-team All-Big Ten Iowa Hawkeye. He's second all-time in the program in both receiving yards and total catches. He is, and I don't even know if you know this, DJK, uh, you are the all-time Big Ten kickoff return average leader at 26.2 yards a return. Did you know that? I, I had no idea. There you go. So I you, had no you idea. You have a Big Ten there we record, go, my friend. DJK, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? Oh, man, thanks for having me, guys. Me, I'm great, man. Couldn't, couldn't be happier. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we talked a little bit yesterday, uh, and we didn't get a chance to catch up yesterday because you were out in the woods. Is that right? Correct. I was out in the woods. And is that something you've been doing your whole life, or is that something you picked up recently? How'd you get hunting? Yeah, no. Um, you know, for me, I like to stay busy and uh, love to acquire, you know, new skills and hobbies and traits. And, and uh, you know, I, my, uh, I started dating a girl, so my, now my fiance. Uh, her dad is a huge hunter. And uh, she grew up hunting with him. And <clears throat> obviously, over time, you know, I learned, you know, how to use a gun and learned how to deer hunt, and, and I became obsessed with it. And so, um, you know, now I'm, I would like to say that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a connoisseur of it. And uh, turkey hunt, the turkey season, uh, deer hunt, and archery and rifle season, so... Um, yeah, avid hunter, and uh, I really, really enjoy it. I've always enjoyed being outside, being in the woods. Growing up as a kid, um, we would ride our dirt bikes or four-wheelers, build forts. I mean, we bonfires in the woods, paintballing, paintball fights in the woods, uh, but never never got into hunting, and then obviously uh, naturally transitioned to it uh, after you know getting involved with my fiance and her family. They've done that their whole life, so... Uh, it's become one of my favorite things to do. The animal population of eastern Pennsylvania is no longer safe with the <laughs> yeah. rifle in DJK's hand. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, I have my parents, they can't, like, they think that, like, I'm a murderer. Like, they have, 
they're completely <laughs> different, completely different mindset and outlook on the whole deal uh, in comparison to uh, Kayla's family. I yeah. mean, it and, and her dad is all about uh, the environment and the animals and nature and being outdoors and the climate, everything. I mean, he's 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 has true concern for for it all. Um, my parents, on the other hand, think that it's like the cruelest thing in the world that I'm killing Bambi, and so there's like complete family conflict there. <laughs> Bambi or Bambi's, and, uh, Bambi or Bambi's mom, every single time, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but I got to be honest with you. On Saturdays in the fall, uh, I go during archery season, and, and uh, I got my uh, ESPN watch app because I can't miss any games. So <laughs> I, I'm, I do watch some games while I'm in the woods on mute. <laughs> 2017, man. What a time to be alive, right? Exactly. You can go yeah, hunting yeah. and watch college football at the same Absolutely. time. We Absolutely. just, we only asked because we thought maybe you picked that shit up from some of these boys, you know, your offensive lineman buddies. And I, we pictured Bulaga taking you out there. You know, right it's, 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 <laughs> I re, I'm, I'm pretty upset. My During my time in Iowa City, uh, we definitely had a lot of guys who, who were hunters. And for whatever reason, at that time, I just, I had no interest in it at all. Um, or uh, just nobody ever invited me. I mean, it was just, that was their culture. Yeah, you mine. can't but like what you don't over, know. Exactly. Over time, I mean, I just, like I said, I get into a lot of different things. I'm into, uh, I'm a chameleon. I, I, I really, I'll, I'll go from being one extreme to the next extreme to the next extreme. And, you know, it's good to learn different, different, you know, different things. And, uh, you know, hunting's at the top of my, my hobby list right now. But I don't have a lot of time anymore. Like I said, I'm actually developing rental properties in, in uh, Philadelphia, so that spends most of my time. And then and I coach when I can. I just had a kid, um, and I work too, so there's just a lot going on. One thing we ask everybody, we asked Kaluzi this, Ron Kaluzi, the punter last week um, from last year, mm-hmm. how'd you end up at Iowa, right? And it's a little different for him when you're a specialist. He's got to basically recruit the schools, right? So can you mm-hmm. talk about your kind of path to Iowa and why you chose Iowa, who your recruiting contact was, those types of things? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, early in the recruiting process, uh, Iowa, Iowa was one. I, I distinctly remember Iowa. I started getting a lot of recruiting letters, you can imagine, from every, just all over. And uh, Iowa was the first big team. I was like one of the first major schools to start sending me letters. And then that transitioned into uh, them coming out and recruiting me. And, and the person who had my region was Ken O'Keefe. Ken O'Keefe was a representative who came to my high school. And I remember the day, I remember meeting him, I remember what we talked about. And I came away impressed. I'd never heard of the guy before. You know, at the time, I couldn't locate Iowa on a blank map. <laughs> and uh, I really just, you know, if you, those Midwest states, the surrounding states of Iowa, I, I really couldn't name them. I just wasn't real familiar with that region of the, the country. Um, and after he left, I kind of had to take a look at him. I'm like, where exactly is Iowa? <laughs> and, uh, came away really impressed with Coach O'Keefe. So then, um, the recruiting process continued on. I was actually a late qualifier. So I actually had to take, leave high school, uh, my senior year and go to a, a, a program where I took classes to, to get the, the, the credits I needed to be, you know, eligible to play at the next level. I was kind of behind for some other reasons we'll get into. But so here we are deciding on a school. I wanted to go to Ohio State naturally. I grew up watching them, uh, watching all the receivers, watching uh, the rivalry between them and Michigan for years and years and years. I mean, it, I wore Ohio State clothes. I, 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 was, I went there to in the summers and watched the events. Workouts and seven on seven. I was in the team. I was in receiver meetings with Daryl Hazer, the receiver coach at the time. I was I was a Buckeye. I mean, it was it was a done deal mentally for me. And then Ohio State oh, and Jim Tressel is from Youngstown. Right? That's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we felt good about that. Um, we thought that was going to play a huge role in me getting an offer from them. And we went up there for uh, an official visit. Yeah. Coach Hazel, the receiver coach at the time, who's now the Minnesota Vikings receiver coach, he said that they're going to step away, gonna give it a couple of days, they have one scholarship left, 
and they're gonna give it give it to a guy. It's between me and a guy named Ray Small. Ray Small was from Cleveland Glenville. Cleveland Glenville had a pipeline to Ohio State at the time. They had they were putting two or three guys there a year for about a decade. Uh, Glenn Senior uh, and Jim Trestle were like, I mean, they were like freaking fact. I mean, they were buddies. They were boys. So I get the call from Coach Hazel that they were going to go with Ray Small. Ray Small ended up having like, uh, I think he was kicked off the team a number of times. Jim Trestle let him back. I think he had one kickoff return for touchdown. But outside of that, maybe like two or 300 total receiving yards. I don't know. Uh, probably wishing, pro- year. probably wishing they went the other way with that one. Yeah, well, let's see. So, and Bray Small was actually on my team. The Big Thirty Three, the Big Thirty Three is an all-star game between Ohio, Ohio, and Pennsylvania every year. I don't know if they still have it. I think they switched to Ohio and Maryland or something, but it's not Ohio P anymore. But at the time, they had this long-standing all-star game, Big Thirty Three game. I ended up being the MVP of that game. Um, Ray Small was on my team. Ray Small was a very undisciplined guy at practice. I remember he had a cell phone in the huddle. He, he was just, I couldn't believe it. Some of, the, some of the stuff he was doing, like, do you even want to be here? I mean, it was unbelievable. So I ended up being the big, uh, MVP of that Big 33 game. And obviously, ultimately, chose Iowa. But when they called me and told me they were going with Ray, um, obviously, I was stunned and, and incredibly disappointed. So then I had to go back to the drawing board. Me and my dad drove to Michigan, and Louis Carr told us basically that, hey, I'll give you an offer, but I don't think you're good enough to play here. So we left that. We left, walked out of that meeting. So those were my top schools, obviously. Ohio State and Michigan, they were both axed off the list. Then I went to Michigan State. Michigan State at the time were having their coach, their, their program was in turmoil. Um, their coach was leaving. Um, so I axed them off the list. And then... I said, okay. And Ken O'Keefe had been uh, vigilant. I mean, he was, throughout the entire process, he was there. He was there. Consistently kept in touch with you and kept contact with you. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, we had some conversations. He told me, hey, if you come to Iowa, I think that you're good enough to play for four years. And, you know, I remember that. And that was sort of important to me. Um, And in hindsight, I think about it, guys at Ohio State, they get some of the best of the best of the best of the best. I mean, they get the top tier guys. You know, chances are if I did go there, you know, I may have never surfaced as a as a first team offensive player. Maybe my senior year. You know, who knows? But anyway, Ohio State didn't work out. Michigan didn't work out. Michigan State didn't work out. So I said, you know what? This 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 can keep guys been loyal. He's been saying things I like. I'm gonna go out there and take a visit. So I took a visit to Iowa. Um, in the summer, and I loved it. Felt, instantly fell in love with just the vibe, the people, you know, the campus, everything. Everybody Came always back, says actually, the hardest part about recruiting for Iowa, DJK, is that you just got to get them on campus. If we could just get them, on, get them campus, on campus, but we're going to win, but we can't get them on campus. Yeah, and at the time, they didn't have all the nice upgraded facilities that they have now. Right. I mean, but I, at this, at the, I, and that would have played a huge part, I'm sure, and to, you know, that would have probably helped the process for me in, in choosing how. But at the time, we didn't have all that fancy stuff that they have now. Anyway, so I came back from Iowa City. Uh, Lester Irv was a receiver coach. And they actually had five receivers in my class ahead of me, not including me. There were six of us. So, but I still chose, I decided to go to Iowa. I came back from Iowa with my Iowa visit. I told my mom, they didn't come with my parents. I'm going to Iowa. They're like, what? Just like that. I said, I'm going to Iowa. And they looked at each other, and they're like, okay, that's what it is. <laughs> <You're going to laughs> my, uh, my, my uncle threw, like, a party. He had, like, jersey, Iowa jerseys for me already, banners, Hawkeye theme. It was whole nine. So people always ask me every day, uh, not every day, but often, how did you end up at Iowa? <laughs> and uh, I give them that, that story, uh, uh, a shorter version of it, and, so did, yeah, that's, that's how it, did Ken O'Keefe find you through some sort of like Youngstown Stoops connection? I mean, was there any of that going no, on? No, I mean, that? our high school, my high school, Northeastern Ohio is, uh, is, is got strong football roots. I mean, you can go there and find players and we've got a reputation for that. That's what Northeastern Ohio is about, particularly Youngstown, uh, is, is, is a very popular area for, 
for just uh, high school football. I mean, it's that's yeah. that's our reputation. That's what that's what it's all about. You, you if you don't do anything else growing up in in North Northeastern Ohio, Youngstown in particular, you you play football. So uh, a lot of recruits, a lot of schools come to there. A lot of players have come out of there. A lot of great coaches have come out of there, and uh, it's a hotbed for recruiting. And I think at the time he had some familiarity with the area and that was his region to recruit. And so, you know, just, he, you know, obviously did his research and, and he pursued me and, and it's funny. I was thoroughly impressed with him at the time in the recruiting process. And as, as my, when he became my coach throughout the entire experience from year one to year five, Ken O'Keefe still remains my favorite individual dealing with anybody uh, representing the university. I mean, he's just. So you built your strongest, you know, your strongest connection at Iowa is with Ken O'Keefe. Without a question. I mean, and I don't even know if he knows that, but he was, you know, he, and I don't know if he felt like sort of responsible to kind of stay after me and look after me. And, you know, he told me I would play and I really wasn't, I mean, at the time I wasn't going to play, man. I wasn't going to play four years. I had Andy Brodell in front of me. I had, there was always Doug, uh, uh, Dominique Douglas, James Cleveland, Anthony Bowman, all these receivers they brought in. Uh, Paul Cheney, our, our, cla- our class was loaded. Yeah. Uh, at the time, our receiver coach was Lester Herb. Lester Herb recruited Detroit. He loved all those guys. He, I was, I was a quarterback my entire life. My first time playing receiver ever was when I came to Iowa. So no shit, you, uh, didn't, play, you didn't play receiver at all before that. So you came brand I new. I never played position? receiver in my life before that my first time playing running up at wide receivers my freshman year at Iowa so I had to not only learn the position Blocking. but I had to Blocking. yeah I had to learn the position and I had to excel at it and learn just the details of how to play the position it was it was it was a lot harder uh than I thought I thought but I found the transition from quarterback to receiver to be extremely difficult I mean extremely so my freshman year, I redshirted. There was a bunch of receivers in front of me. Guys that were way more. I mean, I watched Dominique Douglas come in as a freshman, true freshman. He was polished, man. He was polished receiver. This guy was he was good. A lot of those guys were. You yeah. Know, upper class were good. The, the speed of the game was much faster. I'd never played the position before. Uh, I had some frustrating days my freshman year, man. Like, you know, reflecting one on one. Like, is this what am I doing? What am I doing? Did I choose the right school? You know, I, I used to having the ball in my hands every single play in my entire life. Everything offense went through me. Now I might touch the ball five times a game if I'm lucky. So it, it was like I was really down my freshman year. And then one day my sophomore year, redshirt freshman year, uh, things started to click. And, and then obviously you guys know how, how the rest of things panned out. Yeah, so we – I mean, you just kind of got into that when you got on campus. And, you know, you had – as John was rattling off the – statistics and everything like you had a legendary story career at Iowa I know you were part of like my favorite year as an Iowa football fan was 2009 and um you know you were part of that team do you are there any memories that really stand out to you you know game memories that really stick with you the most like your favorite memories from that time yeah we have a couple DJK but we want to hear what yours are first (laughs) yeah I mean there's some obvious ones obviously uh, you know, I touched on the Ohio State Jim Trestle connection, and and I had them marked down on my calendar. I didn't get to play them. My freshman year, we played them, but I was obviously not ready or playing. Ohio State came into Kinnick and throttled us, yeah. so we played them my 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 redshirt junior year, and uh, that was when we played them at Ohio State. And I have a kickoff return for ninety nine yards. We have a photo in my home. Of me returning uh, kickoff down the sideline, and Jim Trestle standing there, and he looked real pissed about it. So, <laughs> that's awesome. That's, that's one of my favorite moments. That's that that is that is my favorite moment. My second favorite moment would have to be beating Penn State um, in 08, uh, when they were ranked number three. They came in the kick, but I would have to say Ohio State game 09, Penn State 08. Um, the Michigan game with three touchdowns. Michigan game, yep, that's it. Those would be the top yeah. three. I mean, that had, to, that had to feel good, like going into places like Michigan and going into places like Ohio State that, you know, didn't you say Lloyd Carr made that comment to you, like, oh, I'll give you a scholarship, but you're not good enough to play here. And then Ohio State yeah, I mean, passed over you, and then you're like, 
Dude, shove that up your ass. Take this right there. Yeah, it's it's weird though because that wasn't my mindset when those games like when those games actually came to fruition. When we played them, I, I wasn't playing with like some chip on my shoulder. But in you know, in hindsight, afterward, years later, you know, I kind of had that thought process. But at the time, there was no like, I'm gonna shove it up your ass or show you. Um, I, I just went out and played and just just so happened to have really good games. Uh, and I was really happy about that because I've always been a, a football, college football fan. And college football from a very early age, it was, just, it was a dream. It was a dream of mine. And even still today, I follow it uh, extremely close. And so to be able to have good games in those story stadiums, uh, the big house and the horseshoe, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that, you know, one day I'll be able to tell my son that, and I think that's pretty cool. I guess kind of knowing what you know now, you know, life experience, where you're at, is there anything, you know, you would do differently or maybe anything that you wish, like, 19-year-old, uh, 20-year-old, 21-year-old DJK would have, anything you could touch on with that? Absolutely, man. And uh, that's a really good question because I I just – you know, I didn't know what I didn't know then, and, you know, I was never a, a, a guy who was disrespectful to his superiors or my teachers or my coaches uh, deliberately. You know, I seen a very, very crazy thing happen to my life um, that I just, you know, it was I, I credit it to my to my youth and inexperience and, and lack of knowledge. Um, you know, I when I chose Iowa, you know, I, I didn't. I'm gonna be honest with you. you know, I didn't choose Iowa because of Kirk Ferentz, and I really had no real knowledge of you know what you know you know his his makeup was, what the university. You know, what the uh, environment, the climate of the region, the history of the school, or any of that, I just kind of picked it because, you know, how it didn't work out, and I really like Kendall Keys. That, that, that was truly, that's what it comes down to. I chose the University of Iowa because I like Kendall Keys, and he told me how to play early. And, uh, you know, I, I, at the time, I don't even know if we had a discussion, like, who's the head coach? Like, you know, what, what's he, who is he? What is he? What does he stand for? What kind of program? You know, it, it was just, I don't have any older brothers, and I don't, you know, I've never had, I never went through a recruiting experience. So, I, you know, I came here, I chose the University of Iowa, and I sort of became like, uh, I became a really popular guy. You know, we don't have an NFL team, so the Hawkeyes, you know, we like to, at the time, we, we looked at ourselves like, we're, we are the NFL team. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I dealt, I, things started to happen to my life that I never anticipated. Never anticipated because I didn't have like the fortitude to sort of look down the line and kind of like have the experience of, hey, all this success is happening, things are going to happen, temptations are going to enter your world, and decision-making is going to really be the determining factor in the outcome of how this, this all plays out. So, you know, me being the type of person that I, I, I'm... You know, I, I, I uh, you know, I'm an adventure guy. I love adventure. I love, uh, I'm an action junkie. I love, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't always think. And when, in my youth, man, I, I just didn't think things through. When I, if I would have, to answer your you're question. Not, you're not the only one, man. <laughs> yeah. If, if I, to answer your question, I would have, I would have done things a lot. You know, I follow football now and there's really not much I, I miss. I didn't, you know, there's things like relationships, like, you know, Kirk Ferentz comes from Bill Belichick uh, tree, the tree. You know, he, he's a lot of his qualities, a lot of his thinking. Uh, he runs his program like him. And here I am, this kid from Youngstown, Ohio, with all this, this big personality and flair. And, like, you know, I just think, you know, everybody's out for my best interest and trusting everybody and having a good time and having fun, working hard and being success, having success, but having fun doing it and almost – uh, you know, almost a reckless was a reckless demeanor, and at the end of the day, you know, you do something when you're 22, 23 years old that, you know, you do things that you don't sort of think through, and it could cost you. You know, 
when I did things that I did when I was 22 years old actually cost me my dream for the rest of my life. Think about it this way. You know, I played football from five years old until I was 22 years old, 22 years old, whatever it was. And that sort of serves as like a internship. It's like you take this internship your whole life, you're learning how to be a football player, how to be a player off the field, all these things you're preparing for the ultimate goal for me was to play in the NFL. So about a couple months before that dream is going to come true, you have a chance to make it come to fruition. You made, you made a single mistake that wipes everything you did since five years old away. That, that was probably the hardest thing for me to do is for two or three years, four years after I left Iowa, I struggled. Every single morning I wake up and I thought to myself, you actually ruined, you ruined it all. You ruined it all because of our mistakes you made. Now, I didn't kill anybody. Or I wasn't. It's funny. People actually think to this day that I actually sold drugs. I never sold a single drug in my life. I never, yeah. I, I, I actually find this one person that's ever bought a drug for me. I, I don't sell I, I could If you gave me a scale and a bag of anything right now, I, I wouldn't even know how to properly weigh it or how to read it. But there was this, based on articles that employers read and things that are on the internet, you would have thought I was Tony Montana. Yeah. Based you know, on the so speculation it, and the way things take off. Yeah, and it's like, I go back home and people were, there's all these stories and things that, and I'm like, I'm actually, so then I embraced the role, I became like, I embraced this villain, villain-like role where I became this like, you know, angry person would say things and lash out at the university and people and, you know, I just like didn't recognize myself. And here I was just before, you know, things went south. I was, I was a good person. I did things the right way. It was like, I, I made pissed off Kirk Ferentz for things I said in the media or wearing the wrong socks or customizing my uniform or I was late to a meeting here or there. But I was in a, you know, I was in this cancer to the team. I was in this, this, this this person that if you if you read in the media that I became, but I didn't. I did become that person because I was just angry. Because like, how did this happen? So if I could go back, if I knew what I knew now on how to how to how to be just a a, a guy who shows up who doesn't bring attention to himself, which I don't think I did, but I sort of in that environment in that climate of university and how Kirk Ferentz like his his players to be blue collared and put their head down and just go to work and not be on Twitter or not be a personality, you know, uh, and then having success the way I was having it and the way it was things that it was creating. People were coming into my life around the campus. These people, I didn't even know. It was like these kids on campus, they want to be around me all the time. It was bar owners, restaurant owners, you know, offering me things and, and just sleeping with countless women. And it was just like, it, all of that was just happening and spiraling. But when I was on the field at practice, when I was on the field on Saturdays, nothing else mattered, man. Just ball. Also, I wanted to do that. That was why I came there. I just wanted to ball. You know, but all these extracurricular exterior distractions happened to me when I was 22. And, and I, you know, I, I, I dabbled in some things that I'm, I probably shouldn't have. Really cost me, uh, yeah, cost me my dream, and it's and that's the reality of the situation. You know, along the lines of misconceptions, DJK. One thing I found very interesting when I was kind of doing a little background research on you is that, given what happened, you're still a very big supporter of the Iowa football program. I mean, it, you, you still seem to root for them very, very much and be very in in tune with them, right? Part of the Hawkeye family still, so. You know, I think yeah, that says uh, a lot to you and, uh, you know, your growth uh, going through that whole process. Yeah, I mean, it's, to, to be, and I honestly, I didn't predict that because, like I said earlier, man, there was a time where I was so angry. I, I was so, you know, I felt like I gave everything I had to that university became a part of who I was. It's, it's forever going to be something that people associate with, me with, and I felt like, you know, I gave my all and then in, in the midst of some adversity, everybody and everything sort of turned their back on me. And that, that was, that kind of fueled the fire with my anger. But as I was able to step away and kind of focus on different things in my life and just, you know, I, you know, I met a girl, I moved away. I started, you know, I started 
my professional life outside, you know, I started to, and I missed the program. I missed, I support the program. There's not a game since I left that I, I missed. I mean, I, I marked down with, with every week, every week. Uh, who are these new players? I read about them, where they're from, you know, everything. There's nothing I miss. You know, new yeah. coaches come in, anything that's happening, and that's like, I don't pay attention to Missouri. I don't go to Missouri. I care about the university. I care about us, you know, being a winning uh, a winning institution. I want to see, you know, I couldn't have predicted that, but that's just in my heart. I can't help it. It's a Hawkeye family, my friend. Yeah. It's in our blood, yeah. buddy. And it's like I said, the people, the people there are amazing. The people, like, you know, people out People outside the program. There's people inside the program. I mean, like I said, Ken O'Keefe is just, he's an incredible person. He doesn't get enough credit for, I mean, he is, he's very viable. And it's viable. And Coach Grant wouldn't have brought him back if he wasn't. You know, with, with Brian, you know, his first year as a coordinator, to have, he, I thought Kirk did a great thing by bringing him to sort of mentor him about, you know, just whatever, situational football, how to conduct practices, how to create practice scripts, whatever. I mean, he's got a wealth of knowledge. And so, you know, in times where, you know, Brian may not know or have questions, and he, Brian knows, he, he coached. But, you know, in New England, you know, with Belichick and, and uh, who's the guy at uh, with the Texans? Bill O'Brien. Uh, Bill O'Brien. You know, he, he, he knows, you know, but he's also never, he's never been a coordinator. That's a different type of pressure. That's a different type of, that's a different experience. And uh, he brought Co- Coach O'Keefe back, and I thought that was very smart. I thought Coach O'Keefe did an amazing job this year. I thought, I credit everything that, uh, Stanley did right uh, to Coach O'Keefe. I, I see some of the the way they even called plays and set up plays, and you know what they run. You know, ten and two things that Coach O'Keefe would do. You know, plus forty, he would always take a shot if it was you know second and one, second and two. He would always take a shot if it was plus we plus fifty yard line. I mean, I see them do that. Some of the plays, some of the, just some of the concepts they run passing. That's Ken O'Keefe and. Uh, when they did have success, I just seen a lot of Ken O'Keefe's his thinking and you know the way he called his offense, and uh, I think it helped Brian. But so you talked about um, Nate and talked about Ken O'Keefe, obviously. So the yeah. Brian Ferentz, you, you started to talk about him. What did you kind of see out of his? I guess your your opinion on his first year as an Iowa offensive coordinator. You know, have you been impressed? Like, what things have you seen that you like? Yeah, and style. I guess my question on top of that, DJK, is stylistically, right? Like, I've been an Iowa fan for 20 years, right? So we've seen a lot of the same stuff. What's different about him to add on to that? You know what? My my perception of what I've seen for 12 games, Brian Ferentz calling offense was, he understands and like Coach Ferentz, is the reason why he's been there for 19, 20 years is because he understands where he is. You have to understand where you are, okay? You have to understand the type of players you're bringing in, and that is how you call an offense. You can't come to the University of Iowa, and even at times where I may have been guilty of wanting more flash and, 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 and run and gun and spread offense, you can't do that at the University of Iowa because you don't get, you don't have the depth at receiver. You don't get those kind of players. We're a type of, we're in, you know, Iowa's an identity school. What that means is, you know, you're going to get the big uglies. You're going to probably get good offensive line, which we've had great offensive line by a lot of guys in the NFL over the years. You have to call your offense to your strengths of your personnel. You know, we're a tight end school, we're a running school, we set up the pass with the run school because we're not getting the five-star, four-star receivers. You have to be creative in your recruiting. Um, you, you know, you have to find running backs, uh, type of running back, downhill running backs. Um, you know, you're going to play good defense. Uh, you're going to have a methodical offense. You're going to set up the pass with the run. And, and that's who we are, and, and that's what and Brian, just like Kirk Ferentz, understands, just like when he brought in Ken O'Keefe um, and uh, what was the other coordinator from Texas? Greg, Greg Davis. Davis. Greg Davis. You know, all I'm going to bring you in, 
but you got to understand who we are, and they're going to stick to that. At Ohio State, Urban Meyer can can run. Urban Meyer's offenses at Florida and Ohio State, my gosh, I mean, unbelievable. I I absolutely love them, but what Brian understands is like, hey, you know. We recruit tight ends well. I think we've done great with tight ends over the years. We've had a lot of guys, uh, Alan Reisner, uh, Brandon Myers, uh, Kittle, Dallas Clark. I mean, a couple yeah, other guys. Never-ending you know, string. Well yes. Tony Moyaki, we do great with tight ends. You know, you're not going to get five-star recruits everywhere. You're going to get a quarterback here and there. I thought we've done well with quarterbacks in the last couple of years. But... All in all, I thought Brian did a good job. Obviously, you know, the offense was stale at times. I thought, you know, the Michigan State game, uh, you know, we got away from it. I thought at times, at times this year our run game was piss poor. Obviously, we had due to injuries, so we had to throw some young guys in there. And, uh, you know, that's why the offense fell on the run game for us this year early on. We had a lot of good backs. There was a lot of good backs, but there's some youth up front. So... You know, it wasn't they weren't a cohesive unit all year long. You know, they had some good. Obviously, the last game of the year uh, looks like everything sort of came together and gelled, and they got it done. Verso, but versus shitty Nebraska team. Uh, yeah, they're so bad. They're so honest. bad. I mean, they're, they're a joke. They're just, yeah, the defense. Is I, a joke. I was, I was actually, I, I, I bet a lot. I won a lot of money on that game. That <laughs> yeah, so good man. Wait, we have a that whole segment no on this podcast called Nebraska where we just bash Nebraska. So we we, yeah. we, we appreciate it. Man. You know, you, you brought up there a couple is. things that interest me. Um, you brought Go up ahead. Nate Stanley and the receivers in the tight end. So we've been arguing kind of back and forth about Nate Stanley on this podcast and kind of what his ceiling is because I look at the physical tools and he's got some tools that I haven't seen. I mean, maybe Stanzi had some of them, but – He's got a lot of tools, but I think what's holding them back is I think like, you know, somebody like yourself or Marvin McNutt are a big weapon on the outside, which, you know, ISM, uh, Smith-Marset, he could be, but he had a little case of the drops this year. So, you know, uh, what what do you think is Nate Stanley's ceiling and what can they do to put him in a position where he can actually hit that ceiling? For me, this year he, he was the highlight for me. Uh, I mean, I was thoroughly surprised. Again, I credit Kim O'Keefe. But at the end of the day, he has to go out and perform and make the throws. Um, you know, obviously not all the way there yet, but I would be absolutely thrilled from a coaching standpoint of uh, what we have and we're going to have for a couple years to come with him. He, that kid has an amazing stature. Uh, I think he plays great in big games, which is really, really hard with, you know, little experience he he had. The way he played this year in some big games, he can make all the throws. Now, he he, he was inconsistent on a long ball because, one, they didn't always protect up front. So, you know, sometime, you know, if you don't get comfortable with that, you need time for, to develop that, that rhythm and routine. But he's a rhythm thrower. When he had play, come out of the play action, five-step drop, and throwing on time, he was as accurate as anybody I've seen all year. I didn't think he did great in the shotgun trying to, you know, pick you apart. But, you know, when he when those linebackers sucked up and those tight ends play action across the middle, crossing routes stuff, you know, some of those throws were very difficult throws. He, 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 can, he can make all the throws. His arm talent is through the roof. Yeah, he can um, sling it. I mean, he can just sling it. I mean, it. The, the dude can throw the ball. He can throw the football with the best of him, and he showed that on a lot of occasions this year. Now, you're going to have him for a couple of years to come. He's a young guy. He's only going to get better. Uh, he finished the year strong. Um, he needs weapons on the he, outside, is my he opinion. Needs weapons. He needs weapons. He needs, he needs a strong run game. He needs a strong run game. And then he also needs weapons on the outside. And I think, I mean, you have to be excited about what Fant was able to do this year. Noah Fant was able to do this year. He had 10 touchdowns. Um, in 12 games, uh, big target, super athletic. Um, so, and he's, they got, got, he's got great size. He's got great size, great athleticism. But like I said, you need to, to get back to sort of the run game being the identity of the offense and finding some weapons on the outside. I don't know why they haven't been able to do that 
for at least five years, six years now. Uh, obviously, Vandenberg was fantastic last year. I think he's still kind of dealing with injuries this year. He obviously made some big plays, but not as... Uh, yeah. He doesn't seem to be... He's not, so, he's not the same guy that he was last year. I think the injury is definitely... Not, the, yeah. He's not. But but at the same time, even him, you know, he shouldn't be the number one receiver with all due respect to him. That is, that's a Big Ten university, okay? There's... They have all the facilities, you know, everything to compete with with the top schools. There is no reason why you can't get one or two elite guys on the roster. Now, we brought in a uh, JUCO transfer. Where did he go? I haven't heard of him all year. Is he on the team? Oh, are you I talking mean, about Quarles? Yeah, are you talking Quarles. about? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it, actually, I was thinking about that last week. I have no idea. He came from uh, New Mexico or something. Correct. Yeah, I don't know. Production for them. I thought he was going to be. Uh, and they and, and and credit to Kirk. You know, he realized that they had they had some voids on that roster this year. They went out and got Nick Ely, eighty four. Mm-hmm. I thought he was good, but now you talked about you know, this. Even do think, him. Do you think Amir Smith Marset can be can be that guy? Do you think he's got the speed and the talent uh, to be uh, that go to guy? Uh, he, he's super raw, and I and like you know, I mean, I'm critical on the receivers. I, I he, is he a freshman? Yeah, true freshman. Yep. True freshman. I I mean, you know, so that sort of that sort of alarms me right there in itself. Is for me, I can tell you right now, I don't care who wants to argue about the point. That kid this year was was simply just not ready. Okay, so he's raw. They like kept said, putting him raw. out there, super raw. He was not ready. So that tells me one. And he kept putting him out there. He had a lot. I mean, I'm like, every time I look up, this kid has trouble just handling the football. Like, I mean, and that's through the fact that, you know, he is a freshman. He's a freshman. So it tells me, one, there's nothing behind him. They're not, you know, he was sort of failing, I thought. They're not putting anybody else out there. So that's really, you know, that's really all we have. So, and you have to look at it this way. Maybe he wasn't ready, but this that, that that experience is going to go a long way for him in the long run. I mean, yeah, that's there, true. You know what I mean? You have to look at it that way. So, and he can run like a deer, man. He's fast. Yeah, he's fast. I mean, he, he clearly you saw the sometime he had the he had the when he did secure the ball and, and you know on the uh, return versus Wisconsin or Nebraska, uh, you know you can see he's got some some skills there. But you know, I think he's more of like a you know he's you know a, a return guy. I, I don't. I don't. I watch his routes. His routes are, are, are a couple yards short. Or you know, can he be a guy to just blow the top off? We'll see. But you know, I'm not sold on him. You know, and I'm, I, I certainly wasn't ready. I didn't. Like I said, I didn't play receiver to my freshman year, so I didn't feel like I was a, a, a decent receiver until my junior year. I mean, I was I was learning position pretty much my entire career, you know, my entire career in Iowa. He's out there as a freshman, and that's what's, that's what's going to happen when you put a guy who's a freshman out there. He's going he's gonna to make mistakes, and you just gotta, he's got to take his lumps, and, and hopefully that'll pay dividends in the long run. That's, 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 that's what I'm guessing the coaches are hoping for. Uh, but you just got to get, you know, there's no reason why Iowa can't have a Marvin McNutt on the roster at all times. I mean, you, you when you have a Marvin or or a number a true number one receiver, you know that forces them to pay attention. They got to pay attention. They got to roll the safety over top, you know, and that opens it up for other guys, and it opens it up for everybody. Teams, I can promise you, did not fear Iowa's running passing game or the guys on the outside at all. They may I saw a lot of man this year. They got shut. Couldn't down. get a lot of separation. Never, couldn't get a lot of separation. Couldn't get any never, separation. Yeah. You know. Many drop balls, uh, just just not a threat, and uh, you know I think that was worth one or two wins. I think that was you know, from seventy five, eight, uh, eight, four, nine, and three. I mean, you know, and uh, hopefully, you know, you develop. Uh, you know, uh, Smith Marset develops. You like to think, hopefully, you know, he develops. Um, I think you're completely right. We're missing that number. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of unknowns at that position right now. I mean, Vanderberg's leaving. You know, you get uh, you get Nick Ely easily back. Who else do you have? I mean, I don't understand what they've been doing 
with that position, well, you know, I don't understand it. There's guys who left, guys who panned out. Didn't pan, I mean, it's just it's a head scratcher for me. Uh, they brought in the receiver coach from Northern uh, in Northern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I didn't see you know that transition into production this year. Uh, obviously, not going to judge him on this year. He's going to get a going to kind of get a year or two or three to kind of change the culture at the position. But the best thing that happened for my career was uh, Coach Campbell coming from Michigan. He changed my game. He really took my game to a, to a new level. Um, so, uh, you know, with that position, I, there is a lot of pressure on that receiver coach to come in because for me and me and McKnight, I won't tell you every day, he was the true credit to, to, to why we were able to take our game to the next level is, is, is simply because the way he coached us and challenged us and the techniques he taught us uh, and then us doing it on the field on Saturdays uh, resulted in, you know, us having a presence on the field. Those years, I thought teams, hey, they they seen 7-15. and 15. You know, you had to cover us. You had to you take us out of the game. You know what I mean? And when you, and when you do that, if you do that, then it opens it up for other people. You know, and then we had good tight ends and everything. And so next thing you know, we're 11-2. and We win the Orange Bowl. And I, I'll put our teams, you know, with Ricky Stanzi at the home versus, you know, any Iowa teams, of course, I'm biased. But, you know, I also look at, I look at it, um, you know, honestly. And I just feel like that those were some of the best years in Iowa. Yeah, so you, you kind of transitioned us nicely. We, we Thank you for talking Iowa football with us. We want to get into a little bit more of the fun stuff, if that's all right with you. Yeah, whatever, man. Uh, um, so you mentioned the Orange Bowl. Norm Parker. I will admit I have a dog that is named after Norm Parker, so that is my affinity for Norm Parker, all right? Uh, Good for you, man. Yeah, tell me everybody's got their own favorite, like, Norm Parker saying or story. What What's yours? Oh, gosh. Man, fantastic <laughs> coach. Um, you know, it's an honor to say I played for the Norm Parker team. My fondest, my fondest memory of Norm is we were playing Michigan at Michigan when I had the three touchdowns, and uh, we it was we were kind of going back and forth. And we I, we got on the bus, or we got on the plane. I was uh, he was already sitting, and I was getting on the plane. Just got my sub. They had the subs at the front of the plane for the players, and as you walk by, you grab one into your seat. And he grabbed my arm and said, "Hey, I love you," like playfully, like. Thanks for scoring those touchdowns. <laughs> I just kept giving up. You know what I mean? Like hey, I'll never forget you. that. And then he always said, um, "Always." I mean, he absolutely always. I, I heard this guy say this probably a thousand times. Boys do what they want to do. Men do what they have to. And that was true. It's true in football. It's true in life. So I always, I always tell my son that, and I always tell him why I say that. Where I learned it uh, is because of Norman Parker. Just a fantastic coach. He uh, he did a great job. You know, a lot of people couldn't figure out how to just stop George Tech. Uh, yeah. You gave Nan Parker seven days, he could stop anything. And we played. <laughs> uh, we played. We played. They gave him a month to figure out how to stop that offense in the Orange Bowl, and we absolutely. It was a thing of beauty. Player. That Orange Bowl defense. I mean, the whole Orange Bowl was just fucking amazing. I will yeah. tell you guys this. So you mentioned gambling against Nebraska, DJK. I yeah. placed the largest bet of my life on you guys in that Orange Bowl uh, because mm-hmm. I thought the exact same thing. I said, wait a minute. This, these, this guy, nobody could get yards on this guy with two-dimensional offenses, and you're telling me mm-hmm. you're going to give them a one-dimensional offense in a yeah. month? There yeah. is no fucking yeah. chance that they're going to yeah. run the ball against Nor Parker. I guarantee yeah. it. <laughs> yep. So I collected on that one. I collected. Yeah, he's uh, he, was a, he, he was a gem. When, during my years, his health started to decline rapidly. He went from coaching. Uh, he was basically in a golf cart for most of the practice because he couldn't get around and stuff. But he was always, you know, he always got fired up. He would, you know, we got shit talking, you know, before seven on seven and key drills. And, uh, you know, I would make a play and tease him and toss the ball over his golf cart. And just all kinds of things. <laughs> I got a great Boy. visual that you toss the ball in Norm's golf cart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, it was just, uh, he was a great guy. He's a great coach. And, um, you know, I, I was lucky to have him for so many years. Cool. Yeah. So talking about wanna, good, co- great coaches. You you were known as a freak in the weight room, 
Okay, right. Mm-hmm. And Doyle, yeah. he's he's kind of an Iowa legend too. So I guess a two part question: What's your favorite Doyle story, and who else could get after in the weight room that was on your team? Um, no, Coach Doyle was Coach Doyle is really he is the uh, he is the star that stirs the drink for the university for, for Iowa football. I mean, he makes it all go. I had a very turbulent relationship with uh, uh, Coach Doyle. I was, uh, I'm a huge fan of him. And I was, I like, I had this fondness about him even while I was playing, while I was there, but, you know, my personality and who he, they, he thought I was created, like, drama between him and I because, you know, while I admired him and I respected him and the guy can transform the body and, and make you react and make the body, I mean, he's, he knows his shit. The guy's not. By, by, by my regard and many others, the best. I, I mean, he is the best. Uh, but from, as far as my relationship, it was just, it was rocky, man. It was it was, it was the same thing as uh, as, it, as it was my relationship was with Coach Ferentz. And, you know, you know, I, I mean, he just, you know, comments, he would make comments like, you know, this is, you know, you're, this is, you know, you've never worked for anything in your life, you've had a super school in your whole life. And I'm like, dude, where do you get, where do you get that? Just because my parents are doctors and I was adopted. Before I was 12 years old, I was, I had no guidance. My dad died when I was a baby. I never met the guy. My mom was 15 years old when she had me. She had no idea what she was doing. I had no curfew. I had no guidance. I went to school if I didn't. I, I had to survive on my own. And so it, was, it always hurt my feelings when he would say it. I'm like, man, you got the wrong idea. Just because I dress nice now and I know how to talk and I interview, you know, that, you know, I didn't have a silver spoon and it sort of treated me that way a lot. So in return, I was, you know, I was not, you know, always pleasant in return. And so there was restriction there. But, you know, I'll never. You know, obviously we're having this conversation, but you know, if if when I think about Chris Doyle, I think about a professional who's the best at his job, and uh, he's he's done great with players over the years, getting people ready for the draft. He's, um, but my particular relationship with him wasn't wasn't great, and you know, I just felt like I and and over time, you know, I didn't sort of you know I just didn't have a good relationship with him because he had his sort of perception of me and. You know, obviously it didn't help when I would be late to meetings and that's and, and different little things that would sort of piss them off that so you know, some of the other guys didn't do. Why why you know, I, I wish I was a better player, I wish I was in line and did things right all the time. But I did things right ninety percent of the time. Obviously not acceptable. It's all you gotta be on all the time. But my heart was in the right place. You know, nobody competed harder than me, nobody worked harder than me. Uh I, you know, obviously you know, his aspect of the whole thing, the, the training and lifting part of it very seriously. Um, you know, I, I love that part of it. My number, there was, I was the strongest receiver. And it might, I blew all the numbers away, Tim Dwight, anybody before me. And I took it serious. That doesn't happen by being lazy and not caring. That happens by hard work. I worked hard. So, you know, just another strange, you know, I, it, it makes me sad. I think, you know, I... I, I I'm a huge fan of Chris, Chris Doyle, but I just had a strenuous relationship. With yeah, just a personality coach. mismatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you one: who was the who was the craziest dude you played with? Oh, the craziest. Um, first guys like Pat Anger come to mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, no Steve. surprise. <laughs> Mike Daniels, Adrian Claiborne. Adrian Claiborne was actually my roommate. Yes, yeah, so you bring up Claiborne. When I was on your Twitter, I noticed you mentioned something about Claiborne had a little luck with the ladies, huh? Yeah, that that dude was um, he was something else. Now, now I'm gonna tell you something. I, you know, over five years, I seen me and Ricky Stanley were best friends for a long time. We always still are. Ricky Stanley was the first day I met him. He was my favorite person. We didn't even hitting off become best friends. You know, Ricky. When, when when he sort of emerged as a number one, just QB one, and I, I sort of came into my own receiver and, and kind of grew together. 
on and off. And uh, I, you know, he's a quarterback of the team, okay? And with that comes some great perks. I've seen Ricky, you know, <laughs> do, do well with women. I did pretty good, but it was just a different experience to see the way women reacted to Adrian Claiborne. I couldn't believe it. He was like, Wait, this dude, it didn't matter. What, I, I would be home for a number of hours. Uh, you know, I see, like, nurses, you know, girl works at Jimmy John's, a bartender I see that school. I'm like, oh, all these different, an Asian girl, and dirty, I mean, it didn't matter. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Oh, they, they just, he was just lovable, man, I guess. And then his room was above my, above my head. I thought he was burning somebody every night. I mean, I'm like, see this, like, 150-pound girl walking in 250-pound uh, quarterback murderer, and then I would hear these women. I, it was just, it didn't make sense. I, didn't, I just mind my own business. Hey, man, I do mine, but he was, uh, they loved him, man. They loved him. Oh, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any better place to leave it on the podcast than that. Yeah, man, that's good stuff right there. Um, yeah. All right, DJK, well, we really appreciate you joining us, man, and taking the time. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. It's always a joy to talk Iowa football. I uh, can't talk about it enough. And, uh, and I continue to support the team and, and uh, school. I mean, it's just that's where I went. It's my alma mater. So there will always be a place in my heart for the school. Yeah, go Hawks. Go Hawks. You got it, man. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na. Go Hawks.